Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Well, good morning. Today's a big day. It's a big morning, right? I mean, everybody's watching the World Cup today. <clears throat> but I'm excited about this morning because I have the opportunity to share with you on this particular passage. And uh, it's exciting to me because um, back in August, I started reading through the book of Luke. And this psalm that's written by Zechariah just really hit me hard. And it's been churning and burning in my heart. And, uh, and I have the opportunity to share with you a little bit about it today. And so I'm excited about that this morning. And, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about John the Baptist. The story of John the Baptist, the birth of John the Baptist is the warm up for the main event, right? So did you ever go to a concert and they have a warm up band? You know, and the, the band comes out and they play and they get the crowd pumped up for the main band that's going to come out. The one you bought the tickets to see, right? Well, that's the John the Baptist story. Is to get you pumped up, get you ready, get you excited about what God is about to do with the main event, which is Christmas, which is coming on Saturday. Can you believe it? And so uh, let's talk a little bit about the John the Baptist story. You remember that Zechariah is uh, John the Baptist's father, and he goes into the temple. He's a priest, and he goes into the temple, and it's his turn to offer sacrifices on the golden altar of incense in the holy place in the temple in Jerusalem. This is a big deal. Right. And he goes into the temple and he's he's he he goes in to offer this sacrifice. And there standing next to the golden altar of incense is none other than Gabriel, the archangel. And he's got a message for Zechariah. And he says to Zechariah, behold, Zechariah, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to conceive and bear a child. And this child is going to be blessed. And he's going to be a prophet. He's going to be used by God. And Zechariah doesn't believe. He doesn't believe because he's so old and his wife is so old. And uh, I can just you just read the story and you read what the angel Gabriel says. And I just imagine the Gabriel, the, the angel Gabriel is kind of like he's like, he's got to be from Brooklyn. He looks at him and he says, are you serious right now? I stand in the presence of God Almighty every day and you're giving me lip. Are we going to do this? Are we having this conversation? And so it's at this point that the angel says, look, you are not going to speak and not even hear. We find out later that people have to write things down for him to understand. So apparently he's deaf and he's mute for the entire nine months that this child is, uh, his wife is pregnant, this child until the child is born. Uh, He is not able to speak. It's an amazing story. When the child is finally born, 
um, the people are debating about what to name the child. And uh, they ask the father, they write something down. And then he writes back on a tablet. His name is John. And miraculously, then his tongue is loosed and his ears are open and he's able to speak. And he breaks out in this psalm of praise. And so this is like one of the first Christmas songs. Okay? And it's a powerful psalm of praise. And we're going to look at it today. It it, it really breaks into three movements. The first movement is really about the past. And the, the second movement focuses on the present. And the final movement focuses on the future. So it's past, present, and future. And so let's kind of break it down that way. And we'll look at it today and see what the Lord has to say to us. The first movement, the promises of the past. Listen to the way the psalm starts. It says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. He has raised up a horn of salvation. What is he talking about? A horn of salvation. What does that mean? Well, I brought a bag of things. In the ancient world, they didn't have glass bottles. And so the prophets would put anointing oil into a horn, an animal horn that they would stop up on one end. And they would use this to put the anointing oil. So uh, a prophet like Samuel would have carried a horn like this, and it would have been full of oil that he would use to anoint the next king. You remember the story that David uh, was anointed by Samuel to be king. Uh, Samuel came to Bethlehem. And to the house of Jesse and all of the sons of Jesse paraded before David and finally are before before Samuel. And finally, he says, where's where? That's it. You don't have any more sons. Right. Until finally they get David out from following the sheep. And the Lord says, this is the one. And he pours this anointing oil over the head of David. And David was anointed to be king. He was the anointed one, the horn of David. Now, what's interesting, as I reflected on this, is that up until this point in Israel's history, for the 400 years, the people of Israel had been oppressed by their enemies. They had been subjugated by even the people living in the land that they were supposed to dominate. They were subjugated by them. Until David. And one man. Anointed by God. Changed everything. By the time David dies. Israel is no longer subjugated. It's no longer oppressed. It is now the leader of the entire region. It is a a regional power. To be a nation to be reckoned with. All because of the anointing. Of one man. Zechariah says, there is a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. He's looking forward to a greater anointing, a greater king that will come from the house of David. That anointed one is the Messiah, 
That anointed one is Jesus Christ. And I tell you, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, he changes everything. Amen? That one anointed one who comes into your heart, into your life, he changes everything. Where you were oppressed, where you were filled with fear, where you were filled with rebellion and failure, all of that is gone. It's all changed through Jesus Christ. Next, Zechariah references the holy prophets of long ago. He talks about all of this is borne witness by the holy prophets of long ago. I like what the apostle Peter says in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. He says this, We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What's he saying? Peter's saying that the Old Testament prophecies are like lights shining in the darkness. The world is dark without Jesus, amen? But those clues, those prophecies, those words of truth are like lights, like the stars shining in the nighttime. I love the nighttime imagery at Christmas. Everything happens at night and we, we, uh, we celebrate with lights, right? We have lights on the trees and we have candles that we light. Why do we light these candles? Why do we put lights on our tree? It's not just to set a nice mood. They represent those prophetic statements about Jesus coming, about the light breaking through the darkness, leading us and pointing us to the dawn. That's the imagery that we have here. Finally, Zechariah speaks of Abraham. The oath that God swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. The oath that God swore to our father Abraham. What was the oath that God swore to Abraham? If you remember in Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham three things. He promised that he would give him a land. He promised that he would give him a seed, a a descendant, right? And he promised that he would bless the nations. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And Abraham said, that's all terrific, but I don't even have one child. How can I have a nation? And then God gives him a baby in his old age, right? This little baby, Isaac, and he can barely contain himself with the excitement of this child as he bounces him on his arthritic knee because he's a hundred years old. Baby Isaac is born. You see, it's always been about a baby. You know, we always think, why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we make such a big deal about the baby Jesus? I mean, it makes sense to celebrate Easter because that's Jesus, the, the, the resurrection and power and glory. Why do we celebrate the baby Jesus? Because it's always been about a baby. The promises have always been about God breaking through the darkness with the birth of a child. It started with Abraham. 
And it, that all looks forward to the coming of Jesus. And that's what we celebrate. But he doesn't end there. He says, and to, to enable us, why do we, uh, why do we look forward to this rescue? It says to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. The reason for our salvation is not so we can be fat and happy. The reason for our salvation is so that we might serve him without fear. So that we can give of ourselves. So that we can live in holiness and righteousness before God and serve him with our lives. You see, Zechariah understood the significance of our salvation. And that's what is important. That's why God has saved us for a purpose, not just for our happiness, but to use us. This brings us really to the second movement of the song, and that is a messenger of the present. Now, Zachariah addresses the little child that he's holding in his arms, little Johnny the Baptist, right? And he's holding him and he's saying, And you, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. You will be a prophet of the Most High. This son that I have longed for all of my life, that the Lord has finally given me, will be a continuation of this prophetic flow leading toward the rescue of God's people. But not only that, John's role is the last prophet before the Messiah would come. He would be the one to prepare the way. He would be the one to prepare the way. This statement reminds us and points us back to the more complete prophetic statement of Isaiah chapter 40 verses 3 and 4. It says this, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall be become level and the rugged places a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The job of John the Baptist was to take the mountains and plane them off and fill in the valleys and prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. He was a road worker. So I brought a shovel. It's a little shovel because I couldn't put a big one in my bag. But God had given, Zechariah understood that God had given this child a job to do. That he would be the one to prepare the way for the Messiah. I live at 91st in Yale. For those of you who are South Tulsans, you know what's going on down there. We have got a major road job going on, right? Between 91st and 81st over Yale. Signal Mountain, right? That mountain is being shaped, literally, they are shaving the mountain off and they're filling in the valleys and they're creating a way, they're creating a means by which people can go from the south into the north, into the city, much easier, much safer, right? They are facilitating the movement of people through that, through that place. There's a lot of work 
There's a lot of engineering that goes into that. That was the job of John the Baptist, was to prepare the way for Jesus. And I would propose to you today that all of us have been given a shovel. That God has called us to do the same thing that John the Baptist was called to do. And that is to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus into the lives of our family and friends and our co-workers and people that we know. Some of you have people that are coming to your house for Christmas that don't know Jesus. That need some shovel work, if you know what I'm saying. They got some rough places that need to be smoothed out. They've got some hills that need to be torn down and some valleys that need to be filled in. How do we do this? Well, we do this by loving them. Amen? We have to love people into the kingdom. We do this by demonstrating the character and nature of God in our own lives before them. We do this by praying for them. But God has called us, just as he called John the Baptist, to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And he's put a shovel in your hand. And it's time for us to get busy, folks. Christmas is a great opportunity to begin to prepare the way into the lives of people that we know and that we love. But it doesn't end there. He goes on to say, to give his people the knowledge of salvation. The knowledge of salvation. I think somebody, sometimes we get now focused when we think about salvation. We think about the struggles that we're going through today, the hardships that we're facing, the pains that we're enduring, the situations that we're fearing, the sorrows that we're feeling. But Zachariah says, no, salvation, the salvation that I'm talking about here comes through the forgiveness of their sins. The forgiveness of sins is at the very heart of our salvation. You see, when we understand the significance of God's forgiveness in our lives, it changes us, doesn't it? I mean, we may have struggles today. All of us have struggles. But if we understand the depth of our sin, and then we understand how God has forgiven us for that sin, it changes even our outlook on the problems that we have. Amen? And so God begins to restore us. That's the real salvation. That's the amazing thing about salvation. It begins to change everything in our lives. So we looked at the promises of the past. We looked at the messenger of the present. Finally, I want us to look at the good news of the future. He goes on to say that we understand the forgiveness of God because of the tender mercy of our God. You see, God forgives us because his forgiveness flows out of his nature. And his nature is merciful. I'm going to talk a little bit about mercy, the tender mercies of God. What is mercy? Well, mercy and grace are like two sides of the same coin. Because Mercy is not receiving what we deserve, right? We deserve God's punishment, God's wrath for our sin. We deserve condemnation. 
But yet God's mercy is not giving us what we, we deserve. Amen? God's grace is giving us what we don't deserve, which is his favor and his love and his forgiveness. And so God's grace and God's mercy run hand in hand. And they define the nature of God. And Zechariah understood that this is the God that he served, even though this is the God that took away his voice and his hearing for nine months. He understood that this was a God of mercy and a God of grace. But I tell you, this nine months gave Zechariah time to reflect on who God was. Sometimes God shuts us up so we can listen. I want you to think about this biblically. Moses thought that he was going to deliver God's people. He was in Egypt. He was strong. He was mighty. He was powerful. He starts to deliver God's people and nobody followed him. Remember? And then he become, he became the number one most wanted in Egypt and he had to escape. And so for 40 years, he spent in the desert in isolation. The apostle Paul, same thing happened to him. He comes to know Jesus. He begins to preach. People want to kill him and he gets put on the bench for two years. Two years in Arabia or Tarsus or wherever he was was for those two years. He is on the bench for two years. Out of commission. And Zechariah, nine months out of commission. Unable to speak, unable to hear. But what did God do in them and through them? When Moses comes out of the desert, he's the leader that God wants him to be. When Moses comes out of the desert, he writes the first five books of the Bible, of the Old Testament, the very foundation of the word of God. When the apostle Paul comes out of the desert, he writes the epistles and defines New Testament theology. He helps us to understand the significance of the cross and the resurrection like we would have never understood it before. When Zechariah comes out of his time, of seclusion. He writes this psalm that defines for us the incarnation of Jesus Christ. What am I saying? Well, I'm saying God's got a plan. And sometimes he just wants you to shut up. Sorry, you're doing this and he wants you to do this. Be quiet for a while and listen to what God is saying. You may be saying, but God, why am I on the bench? Why am I in the desert? Why do you feel so far away from me? God, why are you wasting my time? And God just said, shut up and listen. Just listen to me. I'm teaching you. I'm training you. I'm preparing you. I'm revealing myself to you so that when you come out of this, you will be the person that I've called you to be, that I've designed you to be, to speak the words of truth that I have put in your heart. This is what God is doing in the life of Zechariah. And this, I propose to you, is what God does in our lives. And yet we push against him so frequently. The passage goes on then to talk about 
by which it says the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. I love this image. The image of the rising sun. Got one more toy. The rising sun. It's really the moon, but we'll call it the sun. The rising sun. When I was um, when I was in college, I went on a backpacking trip. It was in the fall. It was not a wise idea. It was a it was a it was a trail I'd never been on before. Me and a bunch of guys who didn't know what we were doing. We got lost, man. It got dark real quick. It got cold really fast. It was a long, cold, hard night. But I remember vividly when that sun finally rose. And I remember how it brought clarity as to where we were. It brought comfort because of its warmth as we moved from rays of sun to rays of sun coming through the trees to try to warm up. It dispelled the fear of the darkness. Well, the sun has risen in your heart. Amen. When we come to know Jesus, the sun rises up in our heart and it dispels the fear. It brings clarity to our life. And it brings comfort from the presence of God. On Christmas morning, the sun rose and the world was different because Jesus changes everything. You know, we're still in darkness. We still live in this shadow of death. And sometimes it's disorienting and it's overwhelming, isn't it? When we look at the world around us and its wickedness and the violence and the pain and the death the hurt that exists in our world. It it can be overwhelming. But we have to remember that the sun has risen in our hearts. And one day, Zechariah is saying, that the sun will rise in the future in a more powerful way, right? That Jesus will return and he'll set this world right. And we look forward to that day. We look forward to the day when Jesus will come and he will restore all things. So even at Christmas time, we not only look back at the birth of Jesus, but we look forward to his coming. Knowing that the darkness one day will be completely dispelled. And the comfort and the power and the strength of Jesus Christ will reign on this earth. But what do we do for now? For now, he will guide our feet on the paths of peace. Today is Peace Sunday in the Advent calendar. It's the day we focus on peace. And Zechariah ends his song talking about the peace of God, that he will guide our paths, our feet on the paths of peace. So even though darkness is around us, we have the lights of Scripture shining We follow the path of peace. What did the angels say when Jesus was born? In just the next chapter. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
Glory to God in the highest heaven. On earth, peace. Peace for us. Because we are the ones on whom God's favor rests. We are the recipients of his tender mercies and his grace. Now we live our lives today, this Christmas time, and always in the peace of Jesus Christ. Trusting in him, believing in him. He is the anointed one. When he comes into our life, he changes everything. One man, anointed by God, changes it all. But he's given us a job to do. To prepare the way for him in the lives of others. So that one day, the sun will rise in their hearts as he's risen in ours. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, for the way that it points us to Jesus Christ. It points us and keeps us on the path of peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.